0: Our New Testament reading this morning is from Romans chapter 16, and this is the text for today's sermon. Paul writes I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive for your obedience is known to all so that i rejoice over you but i want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is and innocent as to what is evil the god of peace will soon crush satan under your feet the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of jesus christ Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and
1: peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you guys ever had a book report assigned to you where you read the book over and over and over again and you just didn't quite get it? You, you couldn't quite understand what message the book was trying to convey. And then to make matters worse, you know, you sit down at your computer and you stare at your blank screen just hoping and praying that somehow this paper will write itself because you just can't come up with anything on your own power. And then to really make matters worse, you know that you'll have to present this book report in front of hundreds of people. And then to put a cherry on the top, you know that your parents and your in-laws are going to fly in from hundreds of miles away to watch you give this book report. Well, welcome to my life this last week. (laughs) I got to a point where I thought about just walking up into the pulpit and having you guys raise your hands and tell me what you think about Romans 16, 17 to 20, and 25 to 27. I wasn't sure what I could say that hasn't already been said. What can I teach you people of God that we haven't already covered in the last 30 weeks? This sermon series is older than my vicarage is after all. So, I sat in my office and I was just spinning my gears, staring at the blank screen, hoping that something would come to me hoping and praying, and then I remembered that I have a secret weapon, an ace in the hole, if you will. You see, I know someone who was there when they first unrolled the Romans scroll. I know somebody who originally went and was the home congregant at the ancient church of Rome, Somebody who is a dear friend of mine and was a great asset in discerning what Paul meant because he has had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to think on it. If they had kept the envelope that Paul sent his letter in that he put in the Roman Postal Service, on the address line, you would see a line that says, concerning the first vicar to the church at ancient Rome, my friend Wally Arp. Let's see what the Reverend Doctor had to say about Romans 16 this week. His first words to me were Paul hopes to meet these people in person, but he doesn't know that he's going to be able to do it. He's not sure that he's going to make it to Rome. What would you say to such a people? What might you be most concerned about? And the second thing he said to me was we'll need to summarize what Paul's goal has been throughout this letter. What has he been trying to get across to the Romans? And subsequently, what have we been trying to do in our sermon series called Made Right? So I thought to myself, what would I say to somebody who asked me about Jesus, but I may never meet in person? The first thing that I would want my readers to know is that Jesus should be proclaimed, that Jesus came and saved them. He called them, He gathered them, He enlightened them, He rescued, and He restored them through His death and resurrection on the cross. And the second thing I would be concerned about is that they know that they have grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, what we might call proper doctrine, right? And this proper doctrine is something we're going to reflect on a lot in this sermon because it's the driving force of the end of chapter 16, the summation of Paul's letter. So, what have we been doing in this sermon series, in this this Made Right sermon series? Well, every week we have highlighted a theme like glory or hope, joy, suffering, and we've expounded upon it and told you how to rightly understand it and apply it to your life as a Christian. We've gone into detail on these things, things that we thought needed further explanation. And of course, like Paul, throughout the whole series, we have maintained and proclaimed that all of these things are only possible because of the sweet gospel, the the good news of Jesus Christ. But in our text for today, Paul seems to really be driving home the fact that he has given the Romans a sure and certain doctrine, a doctrine they can be sure of. A doctrine that perfectly summarizes what it is that we believe as Christians. A doctrine that tells the world this is what we do as Christians. But he warns them that evil men among them are going to try to pervert the Scriptures to fit their own appetites. These men will use smooth talk and flattery to deceive the hearts of the naive among them. And he tells them that they need to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. He then goes on to say that his good news, the good news he's written in Romans, is in accord with the preaching of Jesus Christ and the words of the prophets from long ages past that are now revealed to all the nations. Paul wrote this letter to many small churches that weren't banded together. They just all happened to be in the city of Rome. And I think it's important to remember that Rome was a cosmopolitan city, so there would have been all sorts of different ethnic backgrounds, cultural practices, different levels of knowledge of the Scripture, different access to which prophetic books they had and Old Testament books they had. So, all these churches would have had their own individual sort of flavor. They would have been little house churches that kind of did their own thing a little bit. But Paul describes to them that all these individual churches have unity in Christ through the doctrine that he has given them in this letter. And after he's rightly distinguished for them what it is that we believe, he starts applying it to their lives. And now I want you to think about all the sermons that you've heard recently in the series about grace alone or walking together in Christ or going against the temptations of the flesh and going into God's mercy. All these, these things that Paul expounded upon, we have now done. Paul is declaring unto his listeners that contained within this letter is the truth that you have unity in Christ, that the whole church on earth is one in Jesus, and the truth that, he, that that truth is revealed in the doctrine that Paul has laid out for them. However, his final sign off here is heavily laced with warning, heavily laced with warning. He tells them that evil men among them are going to try to usurp power in the church. They're going to try to take the glory for themselves, and they'll change what Paul meant, and they'll redo the wording, and they'll make it to seem like they're more important than Jesus is. Paul tells them that there's always going to be snakes in the grass. We have tried to lay out the truths from chapters 1 to 15 for you, and today we are going to focus on Paul's final warning. I want you guys to think about someone in your life that's a spiritual advisor for you. Someone who knows the Scriptures really well. For me this past week it was Pastor Arp, but but who is that for you? I want you to really take a moment to picture them in your mind. and Now ask yourself the question, why can't that be me? Why can't that be me? In chapter 16, Paul makes it clear to the Church of Rome that they need to be wise as to the Word of God. What is your defense against those that would pervert pervert the Scriptures to fit their own evil appetites? What's your defense against misguided vicars aimlessly wandering back here into the pulpit to give a message of self seeking glory? How do you defend against pastors who want more and more and more control? How will you handle a friend who's giving bad advice based on a misinterpretation of Scripture? You yourselves need to be on guard against these things with the power of God's Word and the true, consistent, biblical foundation of our Christian faith that is built squarely on Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. I think before I go any further, I I should clarify what this does not mean. This does not mean beating people over the head with your proper doctrine. This does not mean assuming that everything that your lay leaders and pastors do is always self-seeking and just being generally suspicious of everything that they do. This does not mean nitpicking everything that your brothers and sisters in Christ say and do to make sure it's absolutely consistent with the Word of God. And this does not mean becoming self-righteous because you have superior knowledge of the Scriptures. What does it mean, though? It means that you should not have a naive heart. And what is the solution to a naive heart? It's an awakened heart, a heart that has been called out of darkness and has been made alive in Christ so that you might be prepared for the sin of the world both inside of the church and outside of it. Guys, the truth of the matter is that defending proper doctrine within the walls of the church is generally not going to be your biggest battle in this life. Sin permeates every crevice of our existence. It gets into everything, every part. And the best preparation for when sin rears its ugly head is to be equipped with the Word of God on your heart, and on your mind. I don't mean to say that God's Word is a cookbook. It's not a magical recipe book that gives you quick, five-minute, simple solutions to your problems. Rather, what I'm saying is that we're called by Paul and we're called by God to engage the complex problems of this world, equipped with wise believers by our side and with the Word of God as a guide When the effects of sin like disease or trauma or famine or natural disasters, marital unfaithfulness, depression, when all of these things set in, God's Word is there to engage. Paul tells us, engage the Word of God and all of those who you know to be wise and true in the Word of God. But how will you know if somebody is truthful in the Word of God? Well, you have the doctrine laid out by Paul in Romans that you can test them against. You can see if they're doing the things that Paul says they should be doing. But the second thing is that there's a good sign if they're giving all glory to God and not taking glory for themselves, that's generally a good sign. Somebody that has an awakened heart and is bearing good fruits in this life And is saying the words, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. Just like Paul says, those are the wise believers that you should be throwing your lot in with in this life. Finally, how can we as St. Luke's Lutheran Church be a wise guide, a wise spiritual counsel, an example for our community? If we live by the signs and markers and indicators that guide us, that we have all said we will live by and pull in one direction towards, then we will be witnessing to and guiding our community. But what are those signs? What are those markers and indicators? Let me give you a brief review. The first one is a life of freedom. Do you remember your baptism daily? Do you pray without ceasing? Do you live a life set free from the guilt that formerly held us down before Christ satisfied the law on our behalf? Do you find peace in Christ in the most difficult situations in your life? The second one is a life of joy. Do you celebrate a regular rhythm of Sabbath rest with our God? Do you share your story with others? Are you sharing your life with others that you regularly worship with? And do you live out your vocations joyously? Do you spread the gospel everywhere you go, at school, at work, at your home? The third one is a life of sacrifice. Are you using your unique gifts to live out your calling? Are you a good steward of the time, treasure, and talents that God has entrusted to you? Are you surrendering personal gain for the benefit of the kingdom of God And are you loving and serving your neighbor joyously? The fourth one is a life of renewal. Do you humbly ask the Lord for forgiveness and extend forgiveness to others when they ask? Do you give grace in every circumstance? Are you working to rid yourself of your bad habits and starting to build healthier spiritual habits? And are you deepening your relationships to become more transparent and vulnerable with your Christian brothers? And finally, and maybe most importantly, are you looking for these marks of an awakened heart up on the St. Luke's website when you forget them like I did when I was writing my sermon this week? Okay, maybe that's not the most important thing, but if you live out these tenets, these signs, You will be doing everything that Paul commanded in his letter to Rome. Now, if you're like me and you're thinking to yourself, wow, this is a daunting list, or perhaps the even more self aware of us in the group are thinking to themselves, I have failed at all of these every single day of my life. I'm here to tell both of you that you're absolutely right. You are absolutely correct. If this seems like a tall task, be of good cheer, because God has given you wise friends and mentors to live life with in the church, and He's also given you the Word of God as a guide. And there will soon be a day when you won't have to worry about keeping these tenets anymore, these signs. You'll do them freely. You'll do them without having to worry about it when Jesus comes back, because we'll be living in perfection. And those troubles, those stings, those pains of the world that drive you to the Scripture, those are going to go away too when Jesus comes back. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. To those who recognize their own failure to keep these signs, these tenets, there is one who gave up a life of freedom for you. There is one who gave up all joy for you. There is one who sacrificed glory, honor, perfection, and his life for you. There is one who was first crushed and abandoned by God so that he could be renewed three days later and so that you could be renewed every day as you walk with him and perfectly and fully renewed at the resurrection and the second coming when you will have fullness with God. These marks and indicators, they aren't access into eternal life, guys. They're just a response to the work that God has already done on the cross. And they're descriptions of the transformed life that we're now living in faithfulness because of how the Holy Spirit is working on our hearts. Christ alone can change our cries from Hosanna, which means save us, to Hallelujah, which means praise be to Yahweh. Only one God can work everlasting life in you. And only one God would ever choose to do it by suffering and dying in your place, taking your punishment. Only one God has a deep, passionate, jealous love for you. To Him be all glory, laud, and honor. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you To Him be glory forevermore. Now, since this week's theme is the right glory, and since we are ending our time in the book of Romans, I wanted to share with you one of my favorite times that God has gotten the right glory from Israel. It comes from Exodus 15, and it's the words that Miriam sings. She leads all of Israel in a song. They've just gone through the Red Sea on dry ground, and they sing a praise song to Yahweh. I'll read it once in Hebrew and I'll read it once in English. And I want these words to be something you meditate on this week. Let them work on your heart. Ashira La Adonai Kigaoga. Ashira La Adonai ga'oga'a. Mika moka baalim adonai. Mika moka nedar bakodesh. Nikata vakaskada am sugalta. Nakita Am Ashira, Ashira, Ashira. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Who is like you, O God, among the gods? Who is like you in glorious and holiness? In your mercy you lead your people who you have redeemed. I will sing I will sing, I will sing, sing to our God who has graciously redeemed you and has forever saved you. Amen. Oh, one moment. The weekly awakening question is this, how does Christ's victory give you hope and power for today's struggles? How does Christ's victory give you hope and power for today's struggles? Meditate on that this week.